Hey, it's Charlie. If you're a longtime listener of Switched On Pop, you've probably heard the voice of frequent guest Sam Sanders. He's one of my favorite journalists, hosts, interviewers, and has a particularly keen ear for music. Luckily, Sam has recently joined Vulture, and he's launched a new show called Into It. It's a podcast about the pop culture we can't stop thinking about. Their first episode was about how Beyonce's self-titled album changed pop music and launched her as a business mogul. Sam and I are going to be chatting about Beyonce's magnificent new album Renaissance next Tuesday. But before that, let's take a trip back to 2013, listen to Beyonce's self-titled record, and get into it with Sam Sanders on his brand new show. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. Peter Piper picked a pickled pepper. Cardi B is casually the most charismatic celebrity. In three, two, one. Okay. Hey, Sam Sanders here. And I am more than overjoyed to introduce to you Vulture and New York Magazine's newest podcast. It's called Into It. And this is a show all about the pop culture we just cannot stop thinking about. The stuff we obsess over. The stuff we are into. If you had a Booth Mobile store and you had to play music all day, what three Katy Perry songs are on loop? I'm serious about this. Our goal with this show is to obsess with you and maybe even help you obsess better. Because there's so much out there to obsess over, you know? It's too much. I was at a wedding on the weekend, and it was one of these weddings that's in a barn. So uh, there was yeah. no air conditioning. And so no one was in the barn on the dance floor. Uh, yeah. But when California Girls came on, we bolted See? inside. See? All right, this episode, to start, you're going to hear a fun game with me and two vulture stars. And then we've got a wonderful meditation on Beyonce, the CEO. It's very timely for this Beyonce weekend. Happy Renaissance, y'all. And then we're going to wrap things up with something that we are calling Culture Geist. I'm not going to say anything else about it besides that. you got to just stick around and hear it for yourself. All right, with that, let's get into it. Did you see what I did there? Do you hear, do you hear what I did there? <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty good. Okay, anyway, here we go. Enjoy the show. We are here today to play a game. And I feel like both of you are already in the spirit of like big game energy with me because we've taped some stuff before. <laughs> I, I'm all for it. I feel like D rebukes uh, the title of being a games girl. I don't know if I rebuke it. I just don't know if I identify with it. <laughs> <laughs> rebuke is but a strong I, word. I accept it when I'm winning, which is always. So. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Well, let me tell you both about this game, and then you both tell me if you're still into the idea of being game people. All right. So this game, we are calling it Into It, Not Into It. <laughs> the rules are very simple. I mention a headline, and you both tell me whether you're into it or not into it. The winner will be chosen by me, and I will just... Pick the contestant whose opinions I agree with the most. Oh, great. Sounds fun? <laughs> <laughs> sounds, uh, sounds objective. First things first, though, before we start, I want you both to tell our listeners uh, your names and your titles and what you do at Vulture. All right. 
Uh, I'm Rebecca Alter, and I'm a news writer at Vulture. Hi, I'm Dee Lockett. Uh, I'm an editor on the, the culture pages at New York Magazine. So yeah, I just edit chaos. I represent chaos. I am the embodiment of chaos. Welcome to the party. Welcome to the party. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Um, are you both ready to play into it? Not into yeah, it. I'm into it. Hey, that's that's it. That's it. Okay, here is uh, the first entry for the game. You just tell me if you're into it or not. Are you going to call our names? No, just yell it out. Just say oh, it. Wow. Just, just I've always wanted free. a buzzer. <laughs> you can do a buzzer sound. That's cool. Do you have a good one? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> All right, tell me if you're into this or not into this. Here we go. Number one, the chain smokers performing in space. Hmm. <laughs> into it, into it. I think I'm into it. Okay. Both of you, Dee and Rebecca, tell me why. Uh, I'm into it because I don't need them on this earth. So if they're there, that's okay. <laughs> I'm into it because I think if we're going to be putting out more cultural exports into space, the people need to know what we've allowed to happen so <laughs> send them our worst not our best so they can see the fullness of us right <laughs> exactly yeah yeah decide whether or not you want to save us from ourselves first listen to the chain smokers and decide <laughs> if closer doesn't get you i don't know what will <laughs> so this full story is kind of hilarious according to the ap uh the two guys in the chain smokers drew taggart and alex paul they're going to take a pressurized capsule tethered to a stratospheric balloon for a performance about 20 miles above the Earth. And this whole thing is happening in partnership with the space tourism company Worldview. And the head of the company, Ryan Hartman, he says that he hopes this concert in the sky in space will get younger audiences excited about space travel, to which I say, huh, guess I'm not young enough. <laughs> That was a lot of words that made no sense, starting with space tourism. Yeah, the fact that this <laughs> yeah. is an industry, yeah. I don't know. And also getting younger people, I feel like the one thing you don't need to, like, sell children on is, like, outer space. I guess just, like, I think I agree with both of you on this as well. Like, I'm into this concert of the Chainsmokers in space if they stay up there. So what you're saying is you want to pollute the rest of the galaxy, the universe. I do. I do. <laughs> Let Mars have them. Go ahead. Enjoy. Yeah, it'll be them and Elon Musk on a colony somewhere else. And I'm cool with that. It seems like we're all on the same page with this one. Mm -hmm. So with that, we'll uh, move forward. Buzzer sounds ready. Yep. Mm -hmm. Here's number two. The event itself and the continuing coverage of the Benifer Vegas wedding. Into it or not. Tell me. Uh, buzz, buzz. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> buzz, buzz. Uh, no, uh, I shouldn't have buzzed in so early. Choose your answer carefully here, Rebecca. I know. I'm feeling like it was really, I'm going to, mm, I'm going to say not into it. Okay. Tell I'm me tired. why. I'm tired of this why. cycle. I don't really, that wasn't, Benefer wasn't my culture. I think I was a little bit too young for it the first time around. And so I'm not as invested this time around. Okay. Rebecca, Benefer is culture. Bam. <laughs> Bam. So it sounds like, D, you're into it? Yeah, uh, clearly. I'm very into it. I'm capital I, capital I. <laughs> very into it. How could you be against the cycle of love? Oh, I'm for the cycle of love, but the question was the news 
cycle of love and the new cycle of love i'm I'm, that's also love we're in a relationship (laughs) with the new cycle we're in a relationship with the relationship wow someone took it meta i feel like i'm like an unwilling party in the relationship so okay so what we know so far about this wedding we all know it at this point it happened in vegas uh jennifer and ben got married just about 20 years after they first fell in love very publicly they used a bluetooth speaker for their walk down the aisle beautiful there was a pink convertible involved j-lo changed her last name to affleck and right now this week they are honeymooning in paris i will say i have a hard time Reconciling my mixed feelings about this couple, I believe J-Lo is a human angel here on Earth. And I just feel like Ben Affleck is actually kind of dark-sided and has a bunch of demons. And whenever I see that man, there's something dead behind his eyes. And I want to just tell J-Lo, Molly, you in danger, girl. You got to run. He's not right. He's not right. Is this... Is this just because you don't like Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> <laughs> that too. Don't that lie. Too. Don't hide your truth, Sam. But it's like, just he's not one of the 10 most interesting things about her. There you go. There you go. Ben Affleck is just an honest man transcending performance. Like wow. the phoenix rising from the ashes on his back tattoo. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> All I want to say is, J-Lo, please don't feel pressure to save this man. <laughs> All right. This is the third and final into it, not into it for All the marbles. Kendrick Lamar rapping with a little Kendrick Lamar ventriloquist doll at his concerts. (laughs) This is true. This happened. Sorry, I'm pulling up the visual. You have to watch the TikTok. It's kind of weird. That's um, horrific. Do you see it? (laughs) Dear, are you about to say into it? No, I was gonna say I'm in. I'm inconclusive on you this can't one do that. I no, no, I haven't seen no. the puppet yet Ghost, in action. Well, I've only seen photos. I'm giving you time to go Google Kendrick ventriloquist doll. Except TikTok. I don't really want to be haunted. Right oh, you're gonna now. be haunted. No, it's no, gonna happen. This you want to talk okay. about demonic? You want to talk about dark energy? You're, <laughs> oh, no. you're asking me to summon hell. <laughs> I'm asking you to summon hell for the show for Vulture. Come on, do it for us. Go watch it. Please. Oh, this is. Oh, this is awful. <laughs> it's so scary. I think I'm into it. I think I'm Did into it. Did you watch it, it Dee? Off of Rebecca off of Rebecca's reaction. Dude, you gotta okay, see. No, I'm not okay, watching so that. that you're you're being argue <laughs> you're you're siding with ventriloquism <laughs> for the sake of of taking me down. All right. I'm into it for this one reason. Okay. Which is that right now, Kendrick Lamar is on is in his very on the nose era. And this plays into the bit that he has decided to make his own, which is that he's playing God. And you know what? If this is how he sees that happening, praise be. And this is actually what I think is what Kendrick's aesthetic right now actually is. If you listen to the album, he's really giving off middle-aged dad vibes. Yeah. He's a guy who's slowly losing his cool. And when I think of that kind of guy... Um, a ventriloquist doll comes to mind. He would do that. He would do that. Like a middle-aged dad would do some ventriloquist doll foolishness and think it's cool. It's a hobby. Dads need hobbies. (laughs) Take care of your kids. That's your hobby. I want Frank Ocean's (laughs) Met Gala alien baby to beat this ventriloquist dummy up. Great. Now Rebecca wants (laughs) doll-on-doll violence. The dolls are fighting. Fight with it. All right, so Rebecca, you lost a point on Benifer. 
D, you lost a point on ventriloquism. So I'm going to give the win to D, because you really committed to enjoying the idea of Kendrick the ventriloquist. (laughs) And even though I completely disagree with you, I admire and appreciate your chutzpah. As you should. Yeah. (laughs) So, D, you get the first crown for the inaugural uh, edition of Into It, Not Into It. Rebecca, I'm sorry. How do you feel? Well, I just think, based on the reason for her winning, it's like, okay, but at what cost? (laughs) So... My, my conscience is clean. <laughs> Thanks again to Rebecca Alter and Dee Lockett. And we're going to take a break and be right back after my win. <laughs> we're going to take a break to recover from that and be right back. <laughs> Both of those win for me. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latinx culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latinx minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. December 13th, 2013. Dear listener, do you remember where you were. Is that a real question? Can I recall? Let me tell you how I... (laughs) This is longtime music journalist Danielle Smith. Can I recall? What? (laughs) I can recall. Tell me, tell me. I was literally... I was in New York City and my husband and I were guesting on Rest His Soul, the Combat Jag Show. And, you know, we go in to record, and it's a normal night. A lovely, cold, clear night. We're in there for two or three hours. And then we come out, and the world is totally alight in a different way. Because this album has dropped. And what was so crazy was we were leaving the Combat Jack show, pretty much going home, pick up luggage, and get on a flight to Aruba. And when we got to Aruba, Aruba was a light <laughs> with, the Be- <laughs> with the Beyonce album. It was like, oh my God. It was a global event. Yes, it was a global event. She put all 14 songs on iTunes at once. You've got to remember. There's going to be a new trend, or do you think it's something that only a star like Beyonce could pull off? Well, first of all, only Beyonce could pull this off. That Beyonce album from 2013, her self-titled fifth album, it fell from the heavens out of nowhere, it seemed, on an unassuming Friday. All 14 songs at once, and even more music videos. 
it was a moment. Such a moment, in fact, I can still remember some of the reactions. Oh, my God. My favorite one came from the podcaster, Crystal. You might know Crystal from her podcast, The Read. Oh, my God, guys. Crystal is about to have a meltdown. There's this video of her discovering the new Beyonce album in real time while she's recording this live chat. And I mean, that's how it felt. We all felt that. Oh my God, I'm buying it now. What the hell? Beyonce, the album, became the fastest selling ever on iTunes. And it went to number one in more than 100 countries, almost immediately. And if you think about it, it also established Beyonce as the most daring and innovative executive in the music industry. So as we await the release of Beyonce's latest album, Renaissance, we thought we'd take this moment to look back at that 2013 release. And that moment when Beyonce broke just about every rule of the biz and changed the whole game. And she did it all back then without a single leak, a feat she couldn't accomplish this week with her newest album. You know, the same year that she released that self-titled album, 2013, several big-name artists like Katy Perry, like Eminem, they had seen their albums leak early online before they were officially released. The biggest names in the business couldn't figure out how to stop leaks, and she did. And this is the thing that she knew. Like, her mind, her and her team at Parkwood, they said, okay, well, usually the time when these leaks happen are when the physical CDs are going from, like, the press to the stores. She says, well, we can stop the leaks if we just don't do physical CDs. That's part of why this thing was only on Apple iTunes at first, right? Yes, it is why. You know, sometimes it was, you know, during the the shipping of the CDs to the stores, but it even began to be sending the files Mm -hmm. to the manufacturing plant. Yeah, yeah. Because, man, you you know, once something exists, as a file? It's out there. It's over. It's done. It's, it's, it's out there. Yeah. It's out there. Yeah, it's absolutely out there. Yeah. Well, and then it's like to make sure that she really surprised everybody, she released the album on a Friday when the cycle at that point was everyone putting out their new albums on a Tuesday. She said, I'm not doing it mm-hmm. that way. I'm doing it this way. Mm-hmm. And then because she couldn't do any traditional press rollout because of the surprise nature of it all, she literally, her and Parkwood, just called up Facebook and Instagram and said, well, you do a big push on your platforms of like these videos of me saying the album's here on the day it's released. And they just said, yeah, sure, for Beyonce. That's a big deal. Yes. And it was such a cosign, if you really think about it, of social media. Yeah. It was a star of her stature basically saying, this is where my fans are. Mm -hmm. This is where the conversation is. This is where the real and new marketing is happening now. Yeah. This was back when Beyonce had only like, if you only... 8 million followers at that time. She has like (laughs) almost 270 million as of right now. But she knew, she knew, she and her team knew that this is where the Beyonce fans lived. And she went right to where they were. I feel like right now, 
People experience music differently. Now, people only listen to a few seconds of a song on their iPods. They don't really invest in a whole album. It's all about the single. I think everybody was pretty traditional. No one was able, or very few, if any, I should say, artists or labels had gotten right with the fact that something was going to have to change. Like right now, if you look at a media plan or a, a marketing plan or an album release plan, the first sentence, if not the first words, are going to be social and media. Mm-hmm. But back then, that still wasn't the case. People were still talking about breaking songs at radio. I remember people going to Ryan Seacrest's morning radio show and being like, Ryan, here's my new song. Will you play yes. it now? Yes. I remember that. And Beyonce was like, we're not doing that no more. No, no, no one wanted to believe in 2013 that social media was going to be social media. It mm. was changing everything. But so many label professionals, so many radio professionals, so many singer-songwriters just didn't want to believe it was going to be anything but a side dish. Yeah. When, as we know now, it is the main dish. And, and you know Beyonce who knew that, that and Beyonce took advantage knew. of it early on. Yes. Beyonce knows how to make a meal. Okay. A whole meal. Okay. A whole meal. <laughs> a whole meal. And then I'll, and kicked it up too because all of the, like, she was like, I'm not even, I'm so sure of myself. This is the thing that makes her so seductive and sexy as an artist. Yeah. She's like, I'm so sure of myself. I'm not creating 12, 13, 17 songs and then picking out the ones that I think are the best. And then those are the ones that are really going to push and make quote unquote singles. No, I'm not going to do that. All my songs are amazing. Bam. And all of them are singles. I'm going to make a video for every single song yep. and I'm going to put it all out on the same day. I'm not going to parse it out for you. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm going to, I'm going to smother and suffocate y'all with my stuff. And it was, you just loved it for the audacity as much as you loved it for the art. I felt like I don't want anybody to give the message when my record is coming out. I just want this to come out when it's ready and from me to my fans. I told my team I want to shoot a video for every song and put them all out at the same time. Everyone thought I was crazy, but we're actually doing it. It's happening. Can you talk about how much the industry was just different for an artist and different for a label after Beyonce introduced the idea of the surprise album drop to the industry. You're asking me how was it different before? Or after. So like, you know, there are artists doing releases kind of in the way they've done releases, hoping for the best. And then Beyonce says, no, you can do a surprise release. You can do this. You can change this. And Mm -hmm. eventually everyone's Mm -hmm. kind of gravitating towards that. But like if you were an artist working at your peak in the 2010s, how much did your life change from before Beyonce did that to after? I think it changed everything. I think some people, though, some artists, some label executives still didn't want to believe. I think some people wanted to think, oh, well, it can be different for Beyonce because she's Beyonce. Mm. Without giving her, in fact, the credit for changing the entire game. Mm. I mean, what, what she gave artists permission to do 
was frankly to take the label and whole departments at labels, whole tribes of employees, and just to take them out of the picture. Yeah. She essentially took out people at, you know, there used to be these things called magazines. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I used to, I used to run them at least two. And there was a thing, there was a whole dance where you would get an advance CD mm-hmm. and you would listen to it and you would compare it in your minds with your teams at work. Well, which of these albums is going to help us sell the most magazines? We were a really great sort of, I guess, third party. Mm. We were between the artist and the fans. Mm. And Beyonce said again, I don't want any of that. Yeah. You know, what I love about this whole surprise album release was that it was so good, so groundbreaking, so industry shifting, that a year later, Harvard Business School did an HBS case study on it that they taught to their graduate students at Harvard Business School. Mm. One of the big things they drive home in this case, Danielle, and you allude to it, is that like... Beyonce was relying on no one else for anything, really, besides herself. So, you know, the traditional relationship between an artist and a label is that you kind of have to rely on the label for a lot, and they get to call the shots. But with Beyonce, after she left her father's management and began to manage herself, she makes her own production company called Parkwood, and they just say, we'll do everything ourselves in-house. And so with Parkwood, she is taking away a lot of the power that a label would usually have. And what's so crazy with that album that she released in 2013, she just called up Columbia Records when it was done and said, I'm finished with it. And when you look now at what artists are doing today, they've just mimicked that model that she set forth years ago. Yes, There used to be so much more control from the labels. People used to sit up in marketing meetings and just around conference tables and just listen to an album and decide a room full of 15, 20, 30 people listening to a song from a Beyonce-like artist. And they would make the decision as to what the single was. Yeah. Yeah. That literally just doesn't happen anymore. And Beyonce is a huge part of that. In some ways, some of what she was doing was happening in smaller ways. Smaller artists were saying, oh, you know, there's MySpace, there's SoundCloud, there's all these different things. I can just press a button and put my music out and release my music to my fans. Whether I have 16 fans, 1,600 fans, or 16,000 fans, I have control. And Beyonce said, listen to me, I'm going to make that happen for me in a way that no one is going to be able to believe. Mm -hmm. No one is going to have spoken about any of it. No one knows it's coming. I'm about to shut this whole world down at Christmas time. You know, we have talked for a bit about how Beyonce kind of changed the roadmap for other artists. But I wonder... What did that infrastructure of the, let's call it, old industry do 
after Beyonce and that surprise album and the change of everything? Like, how do labels adapt in the aftermath? How does traditional music press adapt in the aftermath of Beyonce saying immediately with in, 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 in one fell swoop, we need you a lot less than you thought we did? Oh, Sam. Mm. Do you know what I love about you is your optimism? Oh. <laughs> and the fact that you really think that anyone has adapted. Oh. okay tell me more i do not know that the industry as a whole Mm. has adapted Mm. whether it's the recording industry or the media industries i wish i could say that they had Mm. i think there is so much nostalgia for how things used to be you know just like in the Motown era there was nostalgia on the parts of the labels and media for what it had been like when jazz and blues were completely controlled Mm. oh wasn't it great when we could just decide when people's jazz albums were coming out and blues albums were coming out Mm-hmm. Wasn't it great when we could decide whether or not to put, you know, a jazz artist or a blues artist on the cover of our magazine? Mm. Segregation was still so deeply in place. I think similarly now it's like people long for the days when terrestrial radio really was the biggest player in the in the game. Yeah. Right. And so it, it's hard to let go to imagine that, oh, my God, it really has changed. Let's really start thinking about things differently. Let's stop acting like the the intern is the social media consultant. That part. Like, come on. I even think about stuff that we might even see now with this quote-unquote more traditional album release from Beyonce and say, oh, it harkens back to yesteryear. No, it really doesn't. You know, when she announces Mm -hmm. the album, she does this big spread with British Vogue. And Mm -hmm. you read that piece and you look at those images and you realize that Beyonce over the course of the last decade has totally reworked the relationship between an artist and a magazine like British Vogue. She was in charge. (laughs) She was in charge of that. And they were happy to get her time. Happy to. And they wrote that article as such. They were working for her. It's really the way things have changed. The power's flipped. It's completely flipped. I mean, Beyonce has gone on record. She's gone on record to me. Talking about how right at the, you know, at the time when Destiny's Child was at its most popular, she was told and she was truthfully told and accurately told by her publicists and by editors of magazines that they just didn't have a place for her on the covers of their magazines. Wow. Wow. So Beyonce, to me, there's also some, hey man, there's just a feeling of like, didn't you tell me that I couldn't be on the cover? Mm. Didn't you tell me that it wasn't allowed for me, that historically it just wasn't a thing that was done? Mm. And I know that it must feel somewhat right to her that she is wielding the power that she's wielding in spaces that told her that she did not belong there. Yeah. Yeah. 
My last question for you, because I really want to hammer home to our listeners, like, we should consider Beyonce not just as a musical artist, but also as a business executive. How would you sum up Beyonce the executive in only a single sentence? How would I sum up Beyonce's uh, legacy as a business person in one sentence? I think I would say... that people talk about Ford, they talk about Nike, they talk about Coke and Pepsi. And they should talk about Beyonce. Mm. They should talk about Beyonce just like they do those other places. I think that she is not even at the middle of where she's going to be. Thanks again to Danielle Smith. She is the former editor-in-chief of Vibe magazine and former editor of Billboard. Also, check out Danielle's podcast, Black Girl Songbook, and her book. It's called Shine Bright, a very personal history of black women in pop. Culture Geist. Culture Geist. You're listening to Culture Geist. Culture Geist. I don't know, y'all. And now for a segment we're calling... Culture Geist, about all the things we can't stop thinking about. The culture that's haunting you, haunting me, haunting all of us, for better or worse. So I always can't stop thinking about Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson. Like, they're always on my heart and my mind to some degree, but in particular... Right now, I cannot stop thinking about this picture that Kim uploaded to her Instagram of her feet kind of up against Pete's chest. And it's just like them trying to be casual and playful. And like, look at us. We're just a normal, cuddly couple who are so happy. And it's just haunting me. I can't stop thinking about why Kim felt the need to post it. I can't stop thinking about the term Feet Davidson. I just, I can't stop thinking about any of it. Hi, my name is Jason, and the thing I'm obsessed with this week is the song 1985 by Bowling for Soup. Uh, That song did come out in 2004, but I am obsessed with it right now. And the reason is that upon re-listening to this song for the first time as an adult, I realized that its retrospection and interest in nostalgia for the 80s through the lens of the soccer mom only includes the white singers of the 80s. They mentioned Bruce Springsteen, they mentioned Madonna, they mentioned Duran Duran, Whitesnake, but they don't mention Prince or Michael Jackson. And I have been near constantly mulling over uh, the idea that there is a entirely white version of the 80s that Bowling for Soup is portraying. And I can't decide if it was a character choice because they're talking about a soccer mom 
who might only like the white people. She's seen all the classics. She knows every line. Breakfast Club, pretty in pink. Even St. Elmo's fire. Or if Bowling for Soup fully just whitewashed the 80s accidentally. So that is my question for the week, and that is what I can't stop thinking about. Hi, my name is Anusha. I'm Vulture's managing editor, and it's summertime, which means I'm spending six out of seven nights a week firing up my VPN and watching Love Island UK. This year, as is usually the case, I ride or die for the women. And as the season wraps up, I would love to see all of the girls band together and dump their dirty boyfriends and take the crown. Um, Because as long as they continue to cast hot, sophisticated, empathetic women alongside these emotionally stunted six-packs that they call men, I will not be supporting these relationships. So yeah, women of the UK for the win, and the boys can fall on a fork. Bye. Thanks again to Anusha Perturu, Jason Frank, and Gabi Grossman. And I'll share right now my culture, guys, this week. It is the amazing, the wonderful, the breath of fresh air that is Kiki Palmer. And she's my culture guys this week, not because of her performance in Nope, but because of the press tour. She has been doing this incredible Angela Bassett impersonation with such joy and charm. <laughs> you are lie. And you are cheap. And I don't want you, I don't want you, I don't want you. She's just the best. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders, and the show is produced by Janae West and Jelani Carter and edited by Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, and our podcast operations manager and resident Kardashian Stan is Gabby Grossman. Hannah Rosen is the editorial director of audio at New York Magazine. And we want to end this by giving a big thanks to Vulture managing editor Anusha Berturu and editor Neil Janowitz. And honestly, thanks to everybody at Vulture and New York Magazine and the entire Vox Podcast Network who helped us pilot this show. All right, we are back next Thursday with a new episode. Until then, dear listeners, keep getting into it. Nope. Nope, that is not the sign-off. I'll think of a good one. Until next time, be well. Bye. I hope you enjoyed Vulture's new show, Into It, with Sam Sanders. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll put a link in the show notes. And come back on Tuesday when Sam and I discuss Beyonce's new record, Renaissance.